Thank you for believing in prayer and trusting the Lord. So as I said, celebrating the birth of Jesus and celebrating his death just seems like we're missing an awful lot in between. But Jesus tells us that we can never get to Golgotha without first going to Bethlehem. In other words, that birth of Jesus in Bethlehem opened up the door for him to be on a cross for your sins and mine. There's a connection that Jesus makes. It's found in the book of John, and it's John chapter 12. And I want to read those words that Jesus shared with John the apostle. So let's stand together as we read John chapter 12, verse 30, verse 23 to 32. Let me read. And, Je and Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. He that loves his life shall lose it. He that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servants be. If any man serves me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause I came into this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then come there a voice, came there a voice from heaven saying, I have given, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard that said unto, that it sounded like thunder. Others said an angel spoke to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Thank you. You may be seated. Verse 23 says that Jesus says, The hour is come. He came expecting. He came ex anticipating that a certain point in his life would come where he would have to give up his life. Now, if I told you that the plane you were about to go on for your vacation in Florida has a 10 or 20% chance of not making it, would you get on that plane? I don't think so. But Jesus came expecting that his life was going to end at a certain point. And all the, all the events pointing up to that moment were significant. And all of those moments said that he didn't fight it. He went into each one of the, uh, the benchmarks that told us that he was going to die. He went to them willingly. Now, would anybody willingly die for you? Would anybody willingly suffer some of the most extreme tortures for you? I don't think anybody in the room would suffer it for the person sitting next to him. But Jesus did. He came expecting to die for you and willing to die for you. He was on a rigid timetable, a schedule that was set in place long before we began keeping time. His birth occurred not on an arbitrary date. It occurred at the exact moment in heaven, history, human history fixed by God. God set not just the facts of Jesus' impending death, but he also fixed the date. Let me explain what that means. 750 years before Jesus' birth, the prophet Daniel revealed that 434 years after the building, the rebuilding of the first temple, Jesus the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem to high praise. You remember that day. 
That day is called Palm Sunday. The Bible teaches that the scripture gave a date 434 years from the rebuilding of the first temple. In 520, the prophet Haggai predicted the Messiah would be killed prior to the final destruction of the second temple. And Jesus' death preceded that destruction by less than 40 years. So the second temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., and Jesus died in 33 A.D. So the destruction of the temple was not very far from the death of Jesus. That's what the prophet predicted 750 years before the event occurred. No coincidences here. Everything that was supposed to happen happened exactly when it was supposed to happen, and it's documented. It's in this book. It can't be changed. So if all of those events of Jesus' death didn't occur in the, in the process and in the timetable that Jesus said it was going to happen, we could say, the Bible is not true. But the fact that all of those things historically occurred when they were supposed to. Jesus said in verse 24 of our text, a seed must fall to the ground in order to produce life. Before Jesus could give his life on the cross, he had first had to come from heaven to earth. So it couldn't be out of balance. He first had to come to earth, and then he had to give up his life. He chose a humble life. He wasn't born to royalty in that sense of the word. There were no, there were no special arrangements made for him in the courts of the king. He came from a poor family. Did you? He came from a small town. Oh, I came from a small town when I was born, Brooklyn, New York. Not a small town, of course. But one of the lesser of the boroughs, his birth was on the lowest rung of the socioeconomic ladder so that he could say to every common person, I've come for you. So if you're a person not of means, if you're a person who was born uh, in poverty, if you're a person who was born in a poor family, Jesus came for you. But he didn't just come for you. At the same time, he came for everybody. He came from the rich, he came for the poor. He came for the black, the white, the Jew, the Gentile, the free, the slave. In other words, Jesus could look you in the eye and say, I've come for you. This is very personal with God. God sent his son out of an abundance of life, of love for you, not just for the world, although when we say the world, it encompasses everybody. Jesus came to demonstrate God's love for each individual sitting here this morning and each individual listening to the sound of my voice. His human existence was initiated by a spark of life supernaturally begun in the womb of a virgin. The seed of infinite life that is eternal God had now become the finite human life that was Jesus. God in the flesh. God actually came down in the form of a human being, Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Galatians 4, 5, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman under the law. It just wasn't an arbitrary date that allowed Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. And so many of us think it was December 21st. I can assure you it was not December 25th. It was not December 25th. It was probably sometime in April. But that's not the important point. The important point that God sent Christ to earth. Now, the date that he came is actually in April. 
And that was the date that was signified by prophets. In verse 24, the second half, Jesus said, a seed dies in order to bring forth life. Seed corn. What do we do with seed corn in order to get corn uh, later on in the summer? We've got to put it in the ground. We've got to cover it over. This is what he's talking about. A seed has to be buried in the ground with time, with sun, with water. The miracle which began in the spring by July has sprouted to a knee-high plant, many times larger than the buried corn kernel by August. The stalk is eight foot high and, is, and will offer up at least one or two golden ears of corn with many more kernels ready to repeat the cycle. Jesus compares the seed to himself, illustrating the hard fact that in God's plan, he will have to die, go into the ground, so eternal life will be made available to anybody who receives him. If you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to know that Jesus accepts you. Who you are, where you are, and how you are. Jesus is not, trying to, is not trying to perfect you at this moment if you're unsaved. Jesus is not judging you by what you've done in your past. What Jesus is looking for from you is what you're going to do with your future. What are you going to do with right now? What are you going to do with Jesus? And what are you going to do in the future? So don't think that you can't come to Jesus because of your past. God doesn't look at that. He looks at your present and he looks at what you're going to do in the future. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also has one suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened, made alive by the Spirit. He died and he rose again, the miracle of the resurrection. Verse 27 says, for this cause I came to earth. For this cause, he says, I came to that manger for a reason. I came prepared to be one of you to live like you, and to die like you. Verse 27, Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled. He wasn't thrilled about the idea. He wasn't happy about the fact that he was going to have tort be tortured or be hung on a cross with nails in his hands and his feet. But he did it. The fact that he didn't just say, Hey, well, this is a piece of cake. He knew what, what, was, what was involved in this. What did the adult Jesus experience of human life that the baby Jesus didn't? Why was he unhappy? Not just about the pain, but about what he realized about you and me, about our humanity. He saw the depth of our depravity, man's depravity and man's sin. He saw it in Rome's crushing, ugly use of absolute and corrupt power. He saw the hypocrisy of false religious leaders manipulating the very people whom they were to serve in the name of God. How much hypocrisy we see even in churches today. He saw the injustice of discrimination and prejudice even among good people. He knew he was going to have to take that dirty mantle of sin and wear it upon his shoulders. And he did that gladly. The conscience and soul of our country suffers the death of a thousand cuts when clergy, ministers and priests and rabbis, politicians, entertainers, sports people, and the rest of us shrug off our sins. It's like we don't even use the word sin anymore from the pulpits. To hear the word sin is an unusual event and an unusual term to be heard in many churches tonight. Would you believe that? That's a fact. 
The fact that you're hearing the word sin at this time is the exception and not the rule. It's very convenient that people don't think that sin exists or that any, well, you need to use the word sin. If you don't believe in sin, then you don't need a savior to save you from sin, do you? You see, it begins to unravel. I don't believe in sin. I don't need somebody to save me from the sin I don't believe in. When the baby Jesus was born, the angel sang peace on earth. Without the recognition of sin, without a remedy for sin, without confession and repentance of sin, without forgiveness of sin, and without a, the Savior of Jesus Christ, there can be no true peace. Someone has defined sin as doing what you want to do. And that's the spirit of our age. And my question to you for a moment is, how's that working out? When you look around and you see what goes on in our society and in our culture, doing what you want to do without any constraints, how's it working? The baby's birth promised what the crucified and resurrection Savior alone could deliver. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives you, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. God said you probably are having a lot of anxiety and stress in your life. You have a lot of disappointments, a lot of things that you wish life would have been like. You thought it was going to turn out at this point in your life, your, your life was going to turn out a certain way, and it hasn't. God said, I want to take all of those things, and I want to put them on my back. And I want to carry the load of those disappointments with you, for you. I don't want you to suffer these things alone. That's pretty wonderful. The creator of the universe says to you and to me, don't carry those burdens by yourself. Let me come alongside. Let me stand side by side with you. Let me put my arm under your shoulder. Let me put my, my hug around you, and let's do this together. That's a wonderful picture, and that's the God we serve. Jesus says in verse 32, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. When the baby Jesus was born, the angel began the proclamation of peace, good news, and joy. And it began with the words, glory to God in the highest. That's how it started. Well, all we see on, on uh, Hallmark cards is peace on earth, goodwill to men. But the words that preceded are glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men. You can't have one without the other. If you want peace in your life, if you want to achieve the good life, if you want joy in your life, you must be dedicated to bringing glory and honor to God. Not talking about perfection. You do your best, and you let God do the rest. And that's what he promised, of the, uh, and that was the promise of Jesus' birth, which was realized on the cross. Here's what the Old Testament said 750 years before Jesus' birth. In Isaiah 53, now this is in everybody's Bible. And this is, this is one of the books that people avoid, and this is certainly one of the chapters. As I read it, see if you can see Jesus in it. Who has believed our report? Isaiah 53. And whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form, no comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we his it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. 
Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we deem we did esteem him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus carried your sins upon his shoulders on that cross. Isaiah 53 tells us that your healing flows from his wounds, your joys from his sorrows, your glory from his humiliation, your riches from his poverty, your hope from his birth, death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He spoke literally of lifting up, being lifted and put on the cross. But figuratively, he speaks to you and to me as individuals to lift him up in our life, individually and together as a church. We are focused on Jesus. What's the church about? It's about individual believers coming together to worship, adore, love, proclaim, and share the message of the Savior who we love, Jesus Christ. He has to be number one in our life. I'm, I am lifting him up to his rightful place in my life when I celebrate his birth, his death, his resurrection, and every day of my life because he is my life and your life. Jesus reminds us in our text this morning that we reach people for Christ by planting seeds of faith, sharing the gospel when God gives us an opportunity to do so, to invite somebody to church. One of the things I'd like you to think about for the new year is how about adopting a pew, the pew you're sitting in? How about adopting that and then inviting people in your sphere of influence to come and sit in those pews with you? Don't just encourage them to come. Tell them, I'll come and pick you up. I'll, I'll show you how to get there. I'll sit next to you when you come. Can you imagine what would happen if every person in this place just invited one person to church and leave the rest to the Lord? In his book, What in the World is God Doing?, Dr. Ted Engstrom relates a story told him by a veteran Korean Christian. In the early 1880s, three Korean workmen laboring in China heard the gospel and embraced the Lord Jesus Christ. The three soon conspired about getting that message of Christ into their own country, an action forbidden by the government. Since the Korean and Chinese alphabets were similar, they decided to smuggle in a copy of the Chinese Bible. They drew straws to see who would have the privilege of bringing the gospel into Korea. The first man buried the Bible in his belongings and headed toward the border, a journey of many days by footpath. There he was searched, found out, and they killed him. Word reached the others that their friend was dead. The seventh, second man tore pages from his Bible and hid the separate pages throughout his luggage. He too made the long trip to the border, only to be searched and then beheaded. The third man grew more determined than ever to succeed. He ingeniously tore his Bible apart page by page, folding each page into a tiny strip. He wove the strips together into a rope and wrapped his baggage in his homemade rope. 
When he came to the border, the guards asked the guards asked him to unwrap his belongings. Finding nothing amiss, they admitted him. The man arrived home, untied the rope, ironed out each page, and reassembled his Bible and began to preach Christ wherever he went. And when the missionaries of the 1880s fanned into the country, they found the seed already sown and first fruits appearing. Does anybody know the statistic about the number of Christians in Korea? In South Korea, 50% of the population is Christian because of what that one person did. What could you do? What will you do with Jesus going forward? What will 2024 mean to, to you in your faith walk? Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw people to myself. Jesus is a wonderful person. Jesus is a wonderful God. He is our wonderful Savior. When we talk about him and when we introduce him to the people in your life, you will not be disappointed with what they find as they search for Jesus. So I want to encourage you, 2024, think about who you can invite to church or who you could speak to about Jesus. Let's pray. So this morning, Father, we thank you for both the birth of Christ, the death of Christ, the burial and resurrection of Christ. And we look forward to the day when he returns to this earth. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.